Hello there, and welcome to the Dear Dyslexic podcast series brought to you by Rethink Dyslexia, the podcast where we're breaking barriers and doing things differently. I'm Shay Wissell, your host, and I'm so glad you can join us. I'm a fellow neurodivergent, and I'm coming from the lands of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation, where I live and work. And I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to all the tribes across our beautiful country and to all First Nations people listening today. Our podcast was born in 2017 out of a need to give a voice to the stories and perspectives of adults with dyslexia. And our voice has grown stronger year after year. We're now a globally listened to podcast with guests from all around the world. Join us for insightful conversations about living with dyslexia and other neurodivergences across all walks of life. Our special focus is on adult education, employment, social and emotional well-being, and entrepreneurship. We're excited to be bringing you this episode and invite you to like and follow us, or even better, why not leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform? So let's get started. Today, I am speaking to Bill, who is a PhD colleague of mine. And when I say colleague, um, we met through our PhD support group that we run um, through the foundation. And Bill is a peer, I should say, rather than a colleague. And I'd like to welcome him onto the show today, where we'll be talking about um, everything to do with research and being dyslexic and trying to do a PhD. So welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> Good to be here. Thanks for asking me. No, thanks for coming along. Um, especially because we've just spent the last half an hour chatting instead of doing our podcast. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Dyslexics get distracted. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> we do very much. Um, which I think is a, one of the good things about having our PhD group because we get to talk about um trying to do our PhDs, but also all the all the different facets of life that come with studying and being dyslexic um Mm. and you are studying a very interesting topic one that blows my mind because I can't do numbers at all so how did you end up doing your PhD what led you on this crazy journey of academia Um, (laughs) oh wow how do you sum it up uh, um, uh, question, for those listening, I'm, I'm, I'm a mature age student, but I'm like on the, it, I, I'm like 50, over 50. Um, and, uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and, um, uh, so, so I had, I had, uh, decades of life in between, um, and school was horrible. Um, uh, and I have very few good memories of it. So, but. I always loved learning um, and I felt I was good at it. Um, and I don't know, as I got older, um, I did little things through TAFE because I wanted to do human resources. So I did the TAFE diploma and um, I started doing the advanced diploma and I topped the year. Um, and this was, this was like uh, uh, late 20s. Um, so, so, so suddenly I was sort of in a situation where I wanted something, I applied to get into it, and it's all sort of like surprising um, how I how I sort of got into it because, I, you know, half of me is thinking, like, yeah, like I'm going to be able to do this. Um, but but I did, and, and yeah, I, I totally topped, topped the year, um, and which, which suddenly opened a door that 
I, I didn't really believe um, had was there for me in the past. Um, and then I sort of thought, I, I can do this. And it wasn't until recently, I suppose, in my recent life um, that I got into a situation where I could choose what I wanted to do. So in, in a kind of a, an odd kind of a way, it's like going back in time and um, I was fascinated by, I, I do a PhD in marine biology. I, I, so I was fascinated by um, animals and, you know, the marine life and stuff like that. And suddenly I, when I went to university and I was looking at applying, um, it quickly became a reality that I could almost or pretty well apply for any degree I wanted. Um, and, you know, from someone who, who like failed, you know, year tw 12 and dropped out, dropped out because they were failing it and failed grade two and stuff like this and hated school. This was like one of those epiphanies of, oh my God, I can do my dream as, so I turned into a kid again and, and, and picked marine biology and, and at every, and I did, didn't really think I could do a PhD in it. I didn't even know what a PhD was, um, to be honest. Um, even though my dad's a doctor, I didn't, didn't know. Um, so, so as I went through it, I figured, oh my God, I could do this and I'm really good at it. And then I can, and then I got into the honors and then the dyslexia thing started sort of hitting a bit. And then, um, uh, I wasn't sure whether I could do a PhD, but everyone else thought I could. And so I was like, that's good enough for me. Let's give it a go. And here I am. I've got lots of questions to ask you, but, um, Going back in time, you said school was horrible for you. So where of an elk uh, where diagnosis just did not exist. So were you diagnosed as an adult as well when you were doing university? Yeah. So so my, my, my dad is a retired doctor, uh, psychiatrist. So there's a bit of understanding in terms of neurodifferences. And, you know, my mum was just like my child is smarter um than failing grade two because i thought grade two so oh i forgot the question shay oh uh, this is me this, this is a very dyslexic me thing of like getting totally sidetracked i'm so sorry no now what was <laughs> the question? question i think the question was around diagnosis were you diagnosed as, oh, yes. like i was because we're older and there yeah. wasn't such a thing i don't think and I'll yeah. just see a diagnosis back when we're yeah. sorry. I'm, I'm so random. I'm so random. Um, anyway, so, 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 yeah, look, look, so, so there's something wrong, um, with, uh, what the school thought I was like because they just thought I was dumb and stupid and lazy and that type of thing. Um, and what I could do because I could say or tell them all of my parents all about animals and mum would be in the car going, oh, what's this plus this, you know, and there'd be big numbers and stuff and none of the adults could do it and I'd just pop and go, blah, 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 and, and say it. Um, and they'd be like, this, th there's a disconnect there. So so my mum sort of could pick this, there was something different about me. So so they got me tested in a time where, um, I don't know, someone could qualify this, but, you know, I reckon half the people as described to me didn't even realise dyslexia existed. And some of the teachers, like half teachers would be like, no, it doesn't, that's rubbish. Um, but she got me assessed then. But I lost that assessment and at university um, they asked for an assessment and I'm not even sure they would accept assessment from me since I was like late 40s at that stage and the assessment's 12. So I tried uni the first semester because um, when I did that course in the past, I told you about it, I, I never told anyone I was dyslexic. Um, and 
uh, I tried it, but after the first semester, it became very clear that you could pretty well wipe off maybe 20 to 30% of my grades off of every single subject just before I started it because of my disability. Um, and it became obvious in second semester that to give me a chance to actually do well in it, I needed to say, hey, I've got a disability and to get acknowledged, I needed another testing. So I got tested twice um, and, hey, the, the assessments align very neatly, which is interesting over 30 years later. That is interesting. I've always wondered if I should get reassessed because at the time I was going through my divorce, so I was in really bad state. So I wonder if it, there'd be any improvements now or and trying to do my PhD, surely I've improved somewhat with my writing, but it would be interesting yeah. to see. And it's interesting that you say 30 years difference, that uh, they still pretty much aligned. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's a really interesting point because they aligned in terms of the the, the how the different psychologists, one was done by one, the other one was assessed by two. Um, and the two reports align in the sense that they talk about how, um, you know, the deficits you have and they sort of value it. Uh, and those values were basically the same. Um, what was fascinating about it, I found it in, in these two reports, is, is, is kind of one of those things, and I'm happy to, sh to, to you know, share them with you because I think that, I just think they're fascinating, um, uh, is, is that I read better, you know, and so I had improved, which is a really, it was brilliant. And that was just like, you know, that was like, that, that was, that was amazing. And, you know, you know, I, and, and, and it sticks in, it's one of those things that I think we were talking about before the podcast about memory and stuff. It sticks in my head that I was told I'm bred like a 15 year old. And I was just like, that is better than I'd ever been assessed or, you know, thought I was ever. Um, doesn't mean I comprehend the same way. I can read as fast as a 15 year old. I, I won't recall most of what I read if I read that fast though to be to be blunt um but i still when you test that basic thing and time it i can still regurgitate the words without sort of really soaking it in when i'm reading and it's it's, it's complicated <laughs> I, I don't get it myself but but yeah so that was interesting is is the progression you make in that and things that they pointed out when i was young which which i think is is frustrating and the problem with testing people so young is that they pointed out that they couldn't really tell if I was trying or if I wasn't trying when I was reading. Um, you know what I mean? But because by 12, um, I suppose I had a lot of hangups, you know, bullying and harassment, reading out loud, stuff like this. So they, they put that, we're not sure whether this is a true assessment of certain, certain things. Um, and so it was great having that one later which basically said, no, no, these are, these are exactly the same. And they hadn't read my old report because I couldn't find it. So it's interesting to see an independent uh, assessment 30, over 30 years later just saying, yep, you are this, 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 these are your deficits, and going, wow, you know, that's, they are. There's no denying it. It's interesting. There's two two points. Hopefully, I don't, that don't drop out of my head. As I'm saying, them, it's starting to drop out of my head. Um is, you know, we can improve even though we our brains are predisposed to difficulties in reading, that we can improve and the importance of early assessments and um, interventions so that children have the best opportunity they can to manage their disability and to build skills around it. 
but also, um, and we're getting way off tro- topic. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> also, no, no, don't apologise because it's important and it's the conversation yeah. around assessments, particularly when you yeah. go into higher ed and you have to have yeah. that assessment. Um, but the like how they couldn't decide whether you really was your dyslexia that was impacting you or whether part of it was, this is in my terms, the baggage that you'd brought because by the time you were 12, you'd gone through all those difficulties. And that's yeah, what rebellious in my kid. head yeah, and for me it was such anxiety to think I was being diagnosed at 27 with this disability and how is my life going to change it. I'd, I'd taken all this bag. I knew I had all this baggage in and every time I did the testing because it was over a few weeks, I'd go and sit in the car and I'd cry before I went home because it's like, oh, my God, there's something wrong with me. Um, and so it's interesting. I wonder, you know, again, the importance of having an assessment when we're younger, like even before we hit preteens because we're not carrying so much baggage and maybe it is a true reflection or maybe it doesn't matter because like yours demonstrated, regardless of the age difference, you still, those primary challenges were still there. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, I mean, I found a lot of benefit from doing it. I, 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 but, but, you know, obviously it's, it's a novel thing. I mean, you can't go back in time. Um, but I mean, now, now I think, I mean, you, 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 You'd be better positioned, of course, to to tell me me actually what they're doing. But you know they're, they're assessing kids a bit better now, and it isn't a part of the part of what happens in school in grade one or two or something that they are they are assessed for reading and writing skills, you know, potentially which would show up us. Uh, but it's not a formal assessment, so it's not something no, you so can compare it to. Some some states, I think, are bringing in phonics checking in grade one. Yeah which yeah, starts yeah, to give yes. an early indication that yeah. children might be starting to struggle. But, I mean, normally dyslexia typically shows up in grade two and onwards when we're starting yeah. to put those sen- when we're starting to put sentences together and to read whole words um, and bigger words. Yeah. So whether yeah. grade one, I'm not, I mean, yeah, I know that some states are looking at bringing it in or they already are. Whether it's too early, I'm not sure. I wouldn't want to comment on phonics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 look look you, you explain things so much better than me <laughs> regarding this no oh, well it's um it's an area i don't like to step step into very often but you got um i don't want to sidetrack the conversation because it is around yeah. how we get into uh doing our phds but the assessment process mm. is really important and you know yes. you had to demonstrate by the time you got into higher ed um yep. that you did have dyslexia and disability Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's two, I guess there's two questions. One is around how do you self-advocate um, once you get through to a PhD level? Because what I've found um, is that supervisors, there's an there's a misconception that if you're dyslexic, you're never going to get to that level. And mm-hmm. I don't know, but from I hated my speech degree and it wasn't until I did my master's that I actually started to really love learning and see I could learn um, and I just had in my head, I just had to do a PhD. And I don't know whether it was because I wanted to prove to people that I wasn't dumb mm. and that I was succeeding in academia because I'd struggled all my life. It was just in my head I had to do it. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do it in. Originally it was going to be on Aboriginal communities and is that, mm. that space I love working in. And then finally it ended up being in dyslexia. But um, how do you, like, Everyone told you you could do it, so you said I was going to do it. 
Is that what drove you? Is it to it's, the seat? Uh, What's behind the, the desire to do your PhD, I guess? It's a long-winded uh, Yeah. Look, look, it's, it's, it's really holistic. Um, uh, and, and, I, and I mean that in, you know, holistic and holistic, you know, both. There's, there are a whole lot of things here. I mean, I, I, I love learning about this stuff. It's like an addiction. Um, it's, 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 it's something which, I mean, even without doing study, uh, I'm still, I'd still do it anyway. You know, um, I, I'll still sit there for hours and watch a bug climb up a tree and see how it does and why it does. And, you know, it, 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 I can't get those out of my head. So, so to me, it was a really natural progression in that sense. Um, the barrier was always dyslexia. I see it as or dyslexia uh, or, or something which which indirectly came from the dyslexia um you know it, it so having everyone say so me really wanting to do it because it was just it's just a continuation of what i do so it's like it's like getting the opportunity for someone to pay you to do what you just love doing anyway even though they make you do certain things like write a lot that you hate you know, they also make you read like all this research on it, which you love. You know, it's just like you 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 imagine it and you see what they're doing in your head. Like yeah, you can really you can see it and feel it, um, and you relate it to all those experiences you've had. And it's just it's just a really it was just a really sort of like joyful thing for my brain to do in that sense. And it makes the struggle of reading worthwhile. So before I was getting a whole lot of, you know, you know, assistances and I, you know, before I was really tapping into text to speech programs like that, um, the pain was so worth the benefits. And that's just because it's like an addiction. And, and that's probably a good way to describe it because, you know, uh, you know, addiction might not just be the chemicals. It can be the process, the, the your environment and a whole lot of other things. And, and to me, it's it's just me and and this is the this, this is the cool thing about sort of like the way i see it as i became a kid again because these were this was my escape uh one of the escapes i did from the torture of school um it it was you know and home and it, it was it was it was really it was i i only have good strong good and wonderful memories from learning about bugs and animals and fish and stuff like that and and so the phd basically was somebody just said hey look you know what you you want to do as a dream um you know you can do that here you go um and then which made it when when it felt like it was getting taken away from me at some stage because the supports really aren't there a phd it made me fight to the death and you know and 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 i hate using that word but that was really how strongly i felt about it. i wasn't going to give up once once somebody gave me that carrot it's that's my carrot you know this bunny is angry <laughs> <You know? laughs> and i would like i want to come back to self-advocacy um but it's mm. interesting you say it's like an addiction because originally when i wanted to do a phd i was like yeah that's just something in my head i have to do but i completely mm. resonate with you when you're it's like you're in your flow and the, your purpose, like for me, and like even when my mum was dying, I was still writing my papers, mm. still doing my thesis, and people would say to me, why are you doing it? And Uni kept saying, take a break. And I said, but that 
for me, that is where I find my purpose and my passion. And I know the work I'm doing is is going to make change for people. And one hundred percent. And I really resonate with that addiction word because it, it does yeah. feel like it because you're constant. Like I just love it. I and I keep saying to people, I'm going to do go on and do my prof doc or do another PhD and everyone because I don't get paid like you. <laughs> it's all yeah. voluntary. Six years of voluntary oh. PhD. And That's working. dedication. And, but I just love it and I can't explain it because it's so hard. Writing is so hard. I'm terrible at it. But the concepts and being able to go out and talk to people about um, what I'm finding in Australian First Research, that's the stuff that just drives me to keep going. Yeah. Oh, look, a, a quick example and then we'll get, we'll, <laughs> we'll get back on track. But it, this, when I was doing, what was it? It was, it was my undergrad and I was falling behind in stuff. It was my third year, I think. I was following behind this stuff and I just asked for an extension for my now supervisor. I think it was undergrad or well, it was undergrad, whether it was honours or not, I'm not sure. Anyway, so my supervisor, uh, my 2B supervisor, um, um, and she said, and, and I was I was volunteering for another scientist. I'm doing all this work, all this work. And she came and goes, what are you doing here? You've asked for an extension, um, you know, uh, for this work because you don't have enough time to do it. And here I come in and you're doing volunteering work for somebody else on some other non-related project, bloody, 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 blah. And my response to her was, this is how I relax. Don't take this from me. Don't take this away from me. And, and I was so like scared of it being taken from me that she felt it like she's amazing. My supervisor is amazing. Um, that, she was like, okay, and and left me to it, and and that's that. It, it is. It's it's. It was my. She was taking my hobby, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and like and I needed that. I needed yeah. that to distress, and I needed that to to get my head and back in track, and to try and to so I could get back on the horse and punch it again, and and sit there for hours trying to write this thing and doing my head in and reading blah 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 blah. blah. Anyway. It's funny that our self-care is doing something that is so hard for us. I, yeah, I, I know. I, I know. But isn't it great? I mean, haven't we just picked the best careers ever? Uh, you know, so do you know strange. what I mean? It's it's, it's, it's a funny, it's, life just moves you in funny ways. Well, because I've been meaning to do um, do a Facebook Live in um, our Facebook group, the other one, and our mm. community, and it's about my husband says that I've got a, an addiction of buying books. <laughs> and I do every time I go to the post office. Like, what are you going to the post office for? Like, it's another book, but I really do need it. <laughs> so, yeah. I pick chapters out of different things, and and it's but it always makes me laugh that here I am with this reading dif- difficulty, disability, but I just collect books. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I, then I, I listen to the to podcast that. now to kind of help me, like to, it supports my reading in on that topic, and so it's you know, taking information in different ways. But anyway. Anyway. Anyway, that's why we're doing our PhDs because really it's our passion and it's part of our core, but it's real, it is really, really hard. And I, um, the writing for me, because I've got dysgraphia, that's what impacts me the most. And for me, self-advocacy hasn't been with my supervisors because they've had an amazing understanding of it. It's actually been with the inclusion and diversity unit who had a poor understanding of dyslexia. And the type of support I needed PhD level is editing. And they thought that by having an editor, I was cheating. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And so my supervisors had to step in and have a meeting with them separately to say, this is not cheating, this is a disability and this is the type of support that Shay needs. And um, you've had a similar experience around self-advocacy and because there's no support for us at a PhD level, um, it adds an extra layer of complexity that we don't need. So what have you had Mm. to do to ensure that you've been able to get the reasonable adjustments you need at your level yeah yeah look it's i mean my 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 story is similar to yours um in that you know what i was confronted with was you know uh i i needed a, a, an academic assistant essentially to sit with me and and help me learn um statistical and and modeling coding so so that i could i could do it because i have to do it for all of uh my 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 projects within my phd um so so it's it's i i I had to i'm trying to think of how you how you say this simply i i kind of and 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 i and i have the feeling that i don't want to insult anyone because everyone ended up being such amazing help and support to get this and and i think that's that's it's important to acknowledge that um uh but i had to become i had to teach them um about my needs and what i needed to do uh and and how i needed to do it um uh because because all they've got is an understanding of what they've experienced and what they're taught and they're not taught enough and they're not really taught about the they're not specialists in dyslexia it's so what i had to do was a really holistic plan i basically had to become uh like a pseudo expert in it so i've read a whole bunch of research on dyslexia um i've uh you know broken it down it became another chapter of my phd basically it became another phd project i had to invest literally as much as i would invest in a phd chapter just so i could explain and make a case that what i needed was absolutely critical um and it wasn't just another you know what was kind of described to me not really put like this but this is how it felt another emotional phd student who's stressing out because the workload is too much it's all new stuff um, it wasn't that because because this had a this had facets where it, where the disability my, my and I, I'm calling it disability because and I hate it but it, it just describes it very well. Um, it's because the, the the deficits I've got are really the main impactors here. It wasn't it wasn't that I wasn't trying my hardest to be able to do what I was asked to do. Um, it's, I, I can't without help. So I don't know, getting accommodations, it was, it was a battle. I, I didn't have anyone saying it could be done. Um, I had a lot of people sympathizing, um, suggesting all sorts of stuff, which was inappropriate to just not just, it, it, it just doesn't work um or well enough uh and it was only the only way i could could get them was to be the teacher and teach them um 
and and I'm trying not to patronize, but that's literally what I did. Um, I I had brought in research so that they would believe it. When you when you when you're pitching to an, a, a researcher who doesn't know, understand, or believe, um, best pitch it in their language and bring in research, peer reviewed. There you go in writing, um, and they're suddenly on that headspace. Oh, I can't really argue with these experts unless I read it thoroughly, understand it, and then maybe I can add c- constructive criticism and, and argue the theory. So, so it's one of the best things to do was to do that. And, and I, and I did that. So I, pu- I put my research hat on, basically I became, you know, I, in some facets, I, I became the, the coach, the teacher, the, I don't know, hopefully mentor. So hopefully the next person they get, um, like me, uh, they and others will be, quickly more open-minded i don't know i'm trying not to be negative about it but it you know at the end of the day it was it was negative and i shouldn't have had to go through anything uh like not like this it was horrific um but i did it anyway and it's just it's just how our culture is at the moment and it's, know, does that answer the question it's, it's yeah, hard no, to it does. one simple factor yeah and i think um that's some really great tips for our listeners who are either doing a PhD and they're struggling and they're not having the support or for those who really want to do a PhD but they feel that they can't. I mean, this whole podcast hopefully tells them that they can um, when we've got the right supports in place. And it's interesting that you had to become the teacher, coach and mentor because outside of academic life, that's what we have to do constantly in our workplace, in our relationships, in um everything we do at the moment, we're in a culture that just doesn't have that understanding of our disability, difficulty, whatever term people would like to identify with. Um, Mm. And we're constantly having to do that and it's exhausting. And I think Mm. at a PhD level when we've got, we're already trying to manage our PhD, our dyslexia, and then we've got to add that additional layer. Um, It can be exhausting, but it is doable. And you've trailblazed now for your university and you've done some amazing work with them around raising that awareness for dyslexics to go through after you. And I think it's great what you've done. At Rethink Dyslexia, we are doing things differently. As a global leader in creating inclusive environments for adults with dyslexia, our commitment is to provide individuals with opportunities to live healthier, happier and more connected lives. Through our range of tailored services, including coaching, learning and development programs, consultancy and training, we're helping dyslexic individuals, businesses and organisations to better understand and support their dyslexic employees. So if you're looking for insights, inspiration and expert advice on dyslexia and how you can provide inclusive practices and environments, then head to rethinkdyslexia.com to find out more or book your free consultation today. The, the, the saddest thing, which which I also want to point out here, because because this this is a conversation I've had with others, of course, because I mean you know me, Shay. Now I'm you know once I've got it, I'm just like nah, you know that's it. I don't, I don't want anyone to go through it again, um, and it's just not right. And from what I've learnt, and and how I understand it, you know, it's if 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 I if I don't make a bit of noise, then the fact is, you know, in my area, in my sphere. Then the fact is, it just it's just a novelty and disappears, and and nobody benefits from it ever again. 
you know, and, and that to me is a fear. Um, so, so, so what I sort of, what I've learned by talking to other people who are in similar positions to mine, and there aren't a lot, but you know, cause there aren't a lot of us trying PhDs, um, uh, uh, you know, with, with, uh, at the sort of the levels my dyslexia is, um, that, that I've met way too many, you know, and, and let's face it, one is way too many, uh, way too many, and I've met more than that, who, who can't, or spoken to as well online, but face-to-face meetings as well, uh, who can't do what I've done don't or don't believe they can do what I've done, and, and one of them definitely can't do what I've done um, because their supervisors aren't behind it and open to it. The disability support services at that university aren't behind it or open to it. Um, and, you know, the culture basically isn't behind it and open to it. So there, I've met this, I, I, I spoke to this one person by messenger um, and and I was just like, I'm, I'm sorry, like where you live, because she will never get a support like me um, because of her country, because of her university within her country, because of supervisors, because of the disability services within the university. You know, it, it's trickle down of, of like barriers um and and so even though i've got this story of i got this um there there aren't a lot of people out there um in who potentially could do this which makes it so much more important for people who can so that we can carve the way part of how i got this was your example saying hey well did they did this and uh, the other example at another university in my state, I won't name and shame, um, but they did this. And I said, well, if they're doing this, we're in the same freaking country, you know, um, just tell me again why it's not, why there's no, why I can't get it. And, but I, I'm in a country where we can start saying that because of the great work that yourself, Judith and, and others have done and, you know, paved the way for us. But if I was in, geez you know germany or you know and let's out let's shame them um you know and a whole of other countries um I, I no this is what's what my accommodation would be a secret like squirrel kind of a pact between the supervisor spending their budget and time to quietly without telling anyone help me so that it's not seen as uh you know breaching integrity and some other things like that and so that they don't have a student who fails and have a student who passes. And that's that's actually what happens. I know a student that that's actually happening right now. And that's so upsetting. It is, it is, it's upsetting, it's frustrating, but I totally understand why this student is doing it this, this way. Because from their perspective, they don't have a choice. And that's what we're lacking. We're lacking choice. That's a really interesting point that you raise because I think, you know, for me, it's always about you as the person can do it, you know, when we've got the right supports in place, that it's a whole conversation when those supports aren't in place. And I mean, we see it now in Australia from, I mean, I said, I don't want to get involved in phonics before, but we're seeing it from primary school level all the way through when there's that lack of awareness. We're taking away these children, these young people, these adults trying to do their PhDs, opportunities to have the best quality of life that they want because the supports aren't being put in place for them that should be. And that's the heartbreaking bit 
of all of it is all the people mm. that miss out on the opportunities to have an education and to be able to do what they want in life. And I, I, my dad sits there often watching YouTube <laughs> and mm. saying to me, I wish I could have done that. And, you know, partly because of his dyslexia that he couldn't, partly the uh, socioeconomic background that he came from, that he didn't get those opportunities. And it makes me sad to hear him say those things. And it, it's um, so distressing to know that so many people have the potential and they're not getting the tools and it is the environment that ends up disabling us to, mm. to do what we want to do. And that's the, that is the hardest bit to hear yeah and 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 look look we are we are getting the universities are getting better at this um but you know the longer they take to really master you know being truly equitable and just you know in so many areas um basically the the you know that i was gonna i was okay i'll, I'll, I'll use this the, the, the kill count rises yeah, those who drop out, those who will never do it. Um, I, I would never be doing this, you know, as a you know kid back then. That this is no, I, I cannot see it at all ever possible unless I had like family support who would pay for tutors and this and, that, and I didn't have that. So, um, you know, it's. Do, do you know what I mean? So, so mm. we we are moving forward. So I I, I, I suppose you know if any academics or you know any admin are listening out there i you know you are getting better at it don't stop <laughs> but you just need to you know really you know up your game a bit you know even with you know budget limitations like we have now it's it's you know a lot of people are falling by the wayside because it's taking a long time and it's you know i mean you know you, that's such a general comment to make because that's with any kind of discrimination you, know, you could sort of like apply it to no, but you're right. I mean, things are improving. I, if I look back, eight, it's now eight years ago since I started these podcasts and mm. the foundation, uh, you know, I didn't know any adult dyslexics out there doing talking about it, which is why I started mm. it. And, you know, eight years later, we've got neurodiversity, we've got neurodivergence, all these labels are coming out for us. And mm. But there's a lot more conversation happening and there are improvements Um you know, from primary school all the way through. But there's still so much more that needs to be done. And it's not so much naming and shaming. It's really just awareness raising mm. that at an academic level, our supervisors and the support people around us have the power to enable us to um, get a higher education, to complete a PhD. Like it's it's in there. Like they have the power to make these changes. And if they're not aware of it, then they're not going to do it. And I was saying to Judith last night when we were going through my thesis that the video webinar we did during COVID around supporting PhD students, did you know we existed? Like that's had over 500 views. It's the biggest viewed webinar that we've ever done. Mm. Some people might say that, well, that's not a lot. But actually it is because we've had people join our group from it. We've had academics come to us. Um but the initial conversation, the supervisors that were there just said, well, we didn't think dyslexics could even get to this level. So even just changing that perception and then giving yeah. people the, um, the psychological safe space mm. to say to the supervisors, this is what I have and this is mm. what I need, and then be allowed to have it. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is 
this what you touched on on was uh, here's here's another example which 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 I found absolutely fascinating. Um, I I was told um, that by the disability support service who, who who have been amazing, absolutely amazing. But this is something that I was told is that uh, they've never seen somebody as dyslexic as me, you know, trying to do a PhD. <clears throat> I know of a dis- someone who's most likely as dyslexic as me at the same university. <clears throat> the difference is the disability support services haven't been asked for help by them um, because of a whole lot of barriers that we just spoke about before. But and I'm ne- no, I'll never name them. Um, but I know someone, and you know it's and and that just speaks so much that this person exists and is there, and they're getting potentially. I'm not sure what the stage is now. I need to chat to them, but potentially a, a same type of accommodation I'm getting. But guess who's paying for it? It's you know that's to be determined whether it's the student or the you know the supervisor. It's not acknowledged. It's and that's how these um, students get through. And the student also has an amazing support network behind them of family who have helped them through every stage. But that's how they get through. It's the ones who you know, who are lucky enough to be in a situation where they can attain that, you know, and, and you know, I might be one of those who could have gone a different route in attaining my accommodation and we would never be having this conversation. But for all of those who don't have that access, I mean, it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's crazy that there are so few of us, but even the few of us who actually get to make it here, you know, um, it's it's a secret. It's you know it's a top secret about who's who, and there's you know so few who are willing to put up their hand and and say, hey, this is what's happening. And, and unfortunately, it's that's that that's impacting change for everyone. Um, I, the way I see it, and you know it's 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 sad. It's sad. It it, it just speaks so much. Like you know, it's it's a. a it's a shameful thing. You've got to hide it and all this type of stuff. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. Probably getting a bit sidetracked, but... No, I but, mean, yeah, well. raise really good points. One is around, you know, people, our own perception of our diagnosis and the shame of having a reading difficulty brings. Um, then there's the, the social and financial aspect of, you know, well, I could probably afford to pay someone to edit my work it would be difficult but I work full-time so I could do that but the injustice in me says well why should I if someone else has a disability and they're allowed to access funds to ensure that they can do their studies then why shouldn't I be allowed to so there's a couple of there's that Mm. injustice of you know fairness within the disability population Mm. that our, our disability is just as important there's the shame from people that don't want to disclose they have a disability. Mm. Um, and then, you know, for some people it's it's such a financial barrier to get to this level anyway, um, mm. and then they don't want to disclose and get the support. So it's so complex and there are so many layers to to having dyslexia. It's um, people just, 
I think it's great having this conversation and being able to start to peel the can. Lid off the can, is that saying? I don't know. I'm terrible with saying yeah, it. I don't know. But starting to peel the onion. It's a good one though. <laughs> <laughs> the lid off the can. <laughs> to, I'll go back, I'll go to an onion. Yeah, it's starting to uh, peel away the layers of the dyslexic onion. Um and it is really layered and um complex. And I've gone, yeah. brain's gone because I'm thinking my thesis now <laughs> and what I'm, yeah. trying, what I'm trying to write about in my thesis about the layers of the onion. Maybe I need to yeah. put it in as the beginning. Yeah. yeah um, look, look, look. I, I, I suppose sort of summing up um, everything, it, it's in terms of gaining my accommodation and, um, you know, uh, it, it wasn't just me. I couldn't have done it alone. Um, and, you know, for me to, you know, to sort of say I got it for myself, you know, is you know the the truth is, uh, it's a we got it for myself. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a it's, there's a whole team of people behind the scenes who, as as we unpeel that onion, um, the uh, the uh, uh, everyone learnt more and more and more, and and that's one thing I loved about it is is because you know I I'm made sure they were talking to each other even though they probably would have anyway um you know brought in people who i thought should be in this conversation etc cetera, etc cetera. i even name dropped dear dyslexic foundation you should ring them and talk to them do you know what i mean but betty was it was everyone who eventually as a team synergized and learned from each other and and actually got to the core of that onion and go okay we need this to help you know this this person out um if we really want to you know be fair and equitable and and offer you know this person uh you know the same rights to uh, education as as the average you know joe and flo you know it's so 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 yeah so so that that really needs to be stated even though at the beginning that everything when said said no at the end everyone said yes um, and, and, you know, and, and because they all were open to it as well. So I, I, I'm lucky and, and now I see that. And I have to say the same for me with my, um, recent adjustments. It was a team effort as well. It was, you mm. know, and for me, because I, I can understand why someone might perceive editing support as plagiarism or not doing your own work, plagiarism mm. is not the right word, but you know, someone else writing it for you. And I think for me, one of the strategies has been working really closely with my supervisors so that they can see that it is my work, it is my ideas. And if it at mm. the end it's finesse, so it's it reads well. Mm. Um, you know, after 45 edits of a journal paper, they know it's my work. And so I think in for people out there listening, that's a good strategy, is you know, like Bill has done as well, working really closely with your supervisors. So they can see it's your work and that they can they can stand up behind you and validate and say, yes, I know this student. I know that this is their work. They've just had those accommodations to bring it to the standard that's needed. For me, it was bringing that writing standard that was needed at that level of academia. Yeah. And, and, and here's, with every PhD, what you learn as a student, obviously, and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I haven't met a PhD yet who, who doesn't say this, you, the supervisor you choose or chooses you is will make or break your PhD, um, as, especially when you've got some barriers 
which, you know, need them to, to think outside the box. If they are stuck, stuck in a, in a mindset or just, you know, getting students is just a, a way they have to, they have to do because it's part of the job description or it gives, gives me more budget or bloody, bloody, blah, you know, burn and churn, gives me more citations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, you, you need them to, to, you know, be in the fight with you. Um, you, so sadly there are a, quite a lot of supervisors who, who would be unsuitable. Um, I would say from my experience, um, purely because they're just not the right people. Um, you know, they, they might be brilliant at what they do and they, they've shown themselves as that, but, um, for somebody who, you know, has a, say greater needs than the average student, you really need a supervisor who wants to, you know, put in, you know, really sort of step into the ring. You, you can't, you can't have them treating you just like nuts. That's, this is my job. This is your job. Bugger off. Um, or, you know, for dyslexic specific, um, well, if you're that dyslexic, you shouldn't be here, you know, which is a, still an attitude, which is there, um, at, with some supervisors, um, you know, is as well. It obviously shows you can't do the work, you know, that, that type of headspace. Um, yeah. I think that's a really good, um, point. For us to finish on really is mm. do your homework around your supervisors. I mean, for me, one of my supervisors is a speech pathologist. She was the head of speech and now moved into education. So she had a strong understanding of my disability and the difficulties that I was going to have. And I think that it's really, really important um, to be open with your supervisors around your difficulties and whether they're going to have the capacity and ability to support you. And it works both ways. The supervisor can needs to be aware so they can make that decision that, yes, I'm going to have the capacity to step in the ring and provide mm. this ex additional support or actually, no, this is not what I am here to do and it's not going to be the right um, student for me. And so I think it works both ways, but um, being aware and you know, doing your research on your supervisors is a really important point, I think, for us to um, to wrap our conversation up on. And mm -hmm. I think that if you're looking at doing your PhD or you're doing your PhD already, please join um, our Facebook group or our once a month catch-ups if you'd like to, because it really is helpful being able to talk to other people about what they're struggling with. And it's not always about our dyslexia. It could be anything anything in life yeah, 100%. Uh, but it is mainly around um around the research we're doing and it's really really important that we have more and more dyslexics that are interested in this space of learning and academia and research to uh to go for it there is a network of people out there that are that are here to help and support yeah 100 percent well, I think we should leave it there then on the 100 percent note <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's a new thing up Picking up jargon, picking up <laughs> jargon of the younger generations. Was there uh, anything else you wanted to add, Bill, before we wrap it up? Yeah, look, 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 just just one quick thing. Mm. Um, if I can, um, in this journey of mine, I've met a lot of people who are dyslexic who um, or possibly dyslexic who are still in the shadows and they don't want to come out. It's safe to come out. Come out, help um you know don't struggle in silence 
just please come out because it'll help you, it'll help everybody else, and it's the right time now to do that. Um, when I was a kid, don't come out. I'm sorry, you would have got hurt a lot. Now it is actually the right time to do it. So please come out. I couldn't agree more because now is the right time because there are so many more adults talking about their lived experience, whether it's in academia or across the board. And um, it is, yeah, I feel like it's never been a more safe time. I mean, look, there is still prejudice and misconception, but as a as a united voice, we are stronger and um, we can change the perceptions of people. Um, mm, it's much easier for me to do it with a with a community than what I was trying to do eight years ago on my own. Um, yeah. So thank you, Bill, for spending time chatting with me today. It's been wonderful. Um, it's been just fantastic listening to your story, but uh, also your passion for learning and um, our shared addiction of <laughs> of research. <laughs> <laughs> and, where does um, it end? Yeah, where does it end? <laughs> I don't think it ever will. Um, hopefully I get to teach one day in this space. But anyway, different stories, sidetracking, wrapping up. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much again for coming on the show. It's just uh, been a joy to meet you through my PhD journey. And, mm. and yeah, hopefully we can catch up again soon. So have a wonderful day. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you haven't done so already, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we are doing at Rethink Dyslexia. So head to rethinkdyslexia.com.au. And don't forget, if there's anything you heard today that was distressing, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Uh, 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 uh,